0: Isaiah chapter 33, I'd like to speak to you this morning on the broad rivers and streams of God. The broad rivers and streams of God, and uh, it's going to be in two parts. The first part will be that which I felt out of my devotion time, and then secondly, I want to have a look back in Matthew chapter 5, in terms of hungering and thirsting for righteousness. It's a beautiful scripture in Isaiah 33, which says this. I don't know if you can read it up there. It says, your eyes will see Jerusalem. An untroubled habitation, an immovable tent, whose stakes will never be plucked up, nor will any of its cords be broken. But there the Lord in majesty will be for us a place of broad rivers and streams. Isn't that amazing? There the Lord will be for us a place of broad rivers and streams. That's why I want to speak over us as a church this morning, that the Lord will be to us a place of broad rivers and streams. And when I look at this year, as we're coming to the close of this year, it really has been a year of, of amazing change. And I guess it's a cliche to say, but the last year has moved on with frightening pace. And uh, here we stand at the end of the year already, staring down the barrel of the Christmas season Already. And it seems like we've just started. And this year we have seen the sifting hand of God upon us. We have seen God add also many families to us. And we've seen people saved. We've seen people baptized. What a wonderful, wonderful thing. We've seen God at work in marriages. We've seen His hand in healing upon people's lives. And we've seen His hand of provision upon us. And for me there's a real sense that the old is gone. The new is come. There's that smell of summer rain in the air, and I'm so grateful to God for all of these things. And as I stand here, I have to say I'm grateful to God for this building. I really am. Uh, It's not the main thing, I understand that. There's still much work to be done, yes, we still have to finish things off, yes, things to add, possibly, yeah. We still have a mortgage to pay off, absolutely, but I'm grateful that this is also part of the new spacious place that God is taking us into. I'm so grateful for that. And I want to speak this over you as a church, as those that stand at the gate and open the gate for God's blessing, the elders of the church. I want to say this over you, Forest Town Church, that we can look forward to an untroubled habitation in God. I believe that with all of my heart. An untroubled habitation. We can look forward to the fullness of this and an immovable tent. I love that image. A tent that cannot be moved. His cords cannot be broken. And remember that one of the primary words God spoke to us eight years ago was spread wide your tent pegs. And I feel God's saying it's going to be an immovable tent. It's going to be a tent whose cords cannot be broken. And I want to speak that over you. I want to speak over you in the new year, a time of enjoying and building friendship. A time of enjoying and building friendship with each other and with every new family that God adds to this community. I want to speak over you times of radical worship in God. And I want to just encourage you, the the evening meetings we are trying to just open up and and let God come and let His presence come. And we've been having amazing times of worship in the evening. I want to encourage you, it's not an exclusive time for younger people. If you can make it on a Sunday night at 7 o'clock, we are having amazing times with God. It really is wonderful. It's better than the football. It's better. It's better than your season ticket meet with God and His people. It is. I want to encourage you to come. I want to speak to you a year of untraveled habitation in God. I want, to, I want to speak to you a year where the cords are secure and cannot be pulled up. And God has begun to take us into a spacious place. And there, He's reminded us this year that there are things that do need to be removed, but so those things are removed so we can begin to experience the fresh winds of liberty, the fresh winds of His grace, the fresh winds of of His Spirit upon us. The first blossoms of spring are out. And I know I'm saying that in the middle of winter, but that's true. The first blossoms of spring are out, and there's a fresh wind on the face of this church. So just a couple of things out of this image of that broad river. I think Jeremy found that picture for me. It's a wonderful picture, isn't it? Just a spacious, beautiful, calm place. I feel like there are three things I want to say in terms of this kind of prophetic stirring that I feel. One, what does a broad river speak of? A broad river speaks of fertility, and it speaks of abundance. If you think of places that are near deltas, like in the Amazon, or in uh, any one of the other great rivers, the Nile, for example, a delta is a place where there's unbelievable variety of fruit, there's a variety of animals, and there's great fruitfulness in a a, a delta area. And I want to say, I want to speak that over us as a church, that in this broad stream place, this broad river place, we're going to see a greater fruitfulness and a greater abundance in God this year as we move into the new year. It's not because we are going to have to work harder. No, it's because of His mercy and His grace towards us. I believe it's going to be a season of simply hearing God's voice, And obeying, that's simply in faith and God unlocking fruitfulness to us as we do that. So let's push into the presence of God. Let's enjoy God with each other and let us see Him do amazing things amongst us. Amen? Second little thing. God is an abundant river to us. Not only is it a place of fruitfulness and fertility, a broad river, but God Himself is an abundant river to Him. I will just give you some scriptures to remind you of what God says. In Him, we live and move and have our being. In Him, all things hold together. In Him, we have all that we need for life and godliness. In Him, we have eternal life. In Him, we have grace and truth. In Him, we have the abundance of His provision. In Him, we have everything that we could possibly hope for and ask for. And He's a faithful God to give us what He's promised. So I want to just throw some things out there. What, what, what can we ask for that He won't give us? A family? Friends? A building to meet in? New births, both physical and spiritual. And again, there's a whole lot of ladies pregnant. It's wonderful. I love babies. Physical healing. Deliverance. Marriages restored. What can we ask for that God is not faithful to give? Amen. So I want to just read you a little portion. I've been, uh, as I, I told you, I've been reading this book. Because uh, God also wants to give us perseverance in times of trial. <laughs> he does. He wants to give us a persevering spirit. And uh, Graham Cook says this in this little book that I've been reading. He says this, One of my mentors in the very early days of my life was a man who was mentored by Smith Wigglesworth. The man would say to me, Graham, Never ask God for patience because the Bible says tribulation works patience. Wish the Bible didn't say that. So when you say, Father, make me more patient, God listens and He says to that prayer in reply, I've got just what you need. Suddenly, our lives are full of trouble and we are thinking, what did I do to deserve this? What is happening, Lord? Don't you love me anymore? And the Lord answers, I'm just answering your prayer. We are saying, But I prayed for patience. And he replies, Yep, I know. And I'm giving you the means to achieve that. Trouble works patience. The credit crunch is going to work some persevering in us, some patience in us as we push into God and let Him come and supply our needs. So what can we mention that God wants to supply to us? Will He give us a stone when we ask for bread? No, the bread of life, it falls like manna from the sky. I believe that. We find refreshing streams in God, who is the rock that is Christ. We, are, we have the wealth of Calvary, all that Calvary speaks of, the treasures of the covenant, the storehouse of eternity, all these things flow in that broad river of God to us. And we have visions of the days of what heaven could be on earth. And through Jesus, we have communion with the saints that have been washed in His blood who sing around the throne and we look forward to eternity with Him. Amen. That's what we look forward to. And C.S. Lewis, a wonderful writer, you know C.S. Lewis, he put it this way. He said this, as the music ends or the landscape loses its light, for just a few moments, we had the illusion of belonging to that world. But we have been spectators. Beauty has smiled, but not welcomed us. Her face was turned in our direction, but not to see us. We have been ta- not been taken into the dance. We can hardly put it into words, but we want to be united with that beauty that we see somehow to pass into it, to bathe in it, to become a part of it. Someday, God willing, we shall. The faint, the far-off results of those energies which God's, which God's creative rapture implanted in matter when He made the world are what we now call physical pleasure. And that, even thus filtered, they are too much, it is too much for our present management. What would it be? like to taste the fountainhead of that stream of which even these low reaches proves so intoxicating. That is what I believe lies before us. It's debatable whether we can ever get too heavenly-minded. Men and women who truly live in the heavenlies are building for a kingdom that never passes away. I want to live with eternity in my heart. I want to live with a, a heavenly future that is resident in me, that motivates me, that encourages me. And thirdly, broad rivers speak to us of security. Security. In the old times, rivers were a defense against attack. I want to say over you, Forest Town Church, what a defense God is. What a defense God is. The devil can't cross the broad river of Christ's blood over us. He can't. Christ's blood is security for us. The finished work of the cross is immutable. And try as he might, the devil cannot cross that river that flows to us. Amen? It's security. I I speak security over you. Why? Because there's protection in God. I want to say, it's important that we need to understand the ways of God. When a church goes through a time of transition, as we are doing God has new challenges for us to conquer. And someone said this little phrase, which I I wish they hadn't said, but at new levels, there are new devils. (laughs) That's the problem, isn't it? it? Yes. I discovered this week that there is a verse in the Bible that was written in in Essex. The earth is the Lord's, and all that's in it. (laughs) It's true, right? Okay, but at new levels, they're new devils. How many of you have played video games with your kids? And you go through one level, and you win, and then suddenly, boom, you go to the next level, and there's a whole lot of other challenges. Things to jump through, things to beat, things to overcome, and it's the same with us. God takes us to a new level. There's new challenges. There's new things to conquer in Him. All right? Can I just say to you, And to myself, that actually the enemy we have to overcome first of all is our own flesh. (laughs) It's hard to fight the devil out there when there's stuff raging in here. And that's what we have to trust God for as He takes us to a new level. This is the security that we have in God, that even when we face trials, God gives us the strength to match the devils that we are facing to overcome them. Wow, that's wonderful, hey? We beat the devil on each level that we're on and as we beat him and he submits to us he becomes our footstool so that we can climb to the next thing that God has for us. The first level that we have to conquer is flesh, our own flesh. That's the first rule of spiritual warfare. You can't take ground from the devil if he's got ground in your life. I want to encourage you as I tried to encourage you a couple of weeks ago. Let's live pure lives. Let's have marriages that are pure. Let's raise our kids in a way that honors God, so the devil doesn't have a foothold in our life. Amen? Very quiet. Graham Cook says this. I want to quote Graham Cook again. He says this. He says, The failure to understand the mind of the Lord in transition, when you're going through change, will have us running away at critical moments if we have no revelation for current events. And we will always interpret things in the realm of the soul rather than the realm of the spirit. What is God doing? If we understand what God is doing, transitioning us to another level, we don't interpret things soulishly, but by the spirit. We need to know that in this broad river of God, we can know security even when things are difficult, things are changing, because he's supplying all that we need. Amen? By the spirit of Christ. First three points. Broad river is a place of fertility and abundance. God, secondly, is a place of abundance for us. Thirdly, broad rivers speak to us of security. And fourth, and this is what I want to major on this morning, is that the broad there's a broad river of hungering and thirsting for righteousness that we need to dive into in our lives. Amen hunger and thirst for righteousness. You know, when I think of the, the situation in the world right now, the overriding thing in the world that underpins violence, murder, corruption, exploitation, greed, the credit crunch, you name anything, the overriding thing that underpins all of those things is sin. That's what it is. The root of all that is sin. And as Christians, we are called to live our lives in the light and the truth of the gospel. So I want to encourage you this morning, if you are anxious in any way about the future or about your family, I think there's no better time for you right now to consider these words that we've been looking at in the last couple of months. These simple words, blessed are those that hunger and thirst for righteousness for they shall be filled. If ever we needed revelation of that little phrase, it's right now. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. I want to suggest this to you this morning, that if every man and woman in the world knew what it was to hunger and thirst for righteousness, there would be no threat of war. There wouldn't be the greed that pillages and rapes the world. There would be no bombs in Mumbai. If every man and woman on the face of the planet knew what it means to hunger and thirst for for righteousness, As we come to Christmas time and everyone's speaking about peace on earth and goodwill to all mankind, I want to suggest to you that the greatest need right now on the face of the planet is for Christians. <laughs> Individual Christians giving themselves to hungering and thirsting for righteousness. You know, we presented in the media and books that we read and on the internet with so many vague, seemingly wise statements about how to engage the culture and to be effective in our Christian witness. But I want to say to you once again that simply it's in the power of the simplicity of the gospel of Jesus Christ that we will find answers. I'm convinced of that. Yeah. The wonderful news of the gospel of Jesus is, in that, is that in Christ we are made righteous. We are made right with God and we begin to live our lives and our lives begin to bring glory to God. The Bible tells us that righteousness exalts a nation. So it's a most effective pursuit, a most effective pursuit to understand and mine out from the scripture what righteousness means if it exalts the exalts nation. And I want to put it as strongly as this. I want to say to you that as we begin to understand the truth of the gospel and its transforming power in our lives, we will begin to regard this beatitude about hungering and thirsting as righteousness as one of the most blessed statements in the whole of the scripture. It is the gospel in one little sentence. And I want to say, if you can say that with all of your heart, that you agree with that, I want to suggest to you that's, an, that's evidence that you're saved. When it becomes, a, it becomes precious to you, the most precious, my precious. <laughs> you see, in the weeks that have gone past, as we've studied the Beatitudes, we've seen this. Jesus encourages us to be poor in spirit, encourages us to mourn, encourages us to be meek. And those verses have all encouraged to look inside, to look inward, and in a sense they might seem to be a little negative. But now when we get to this, this verse, we begin to see something of the positive nature of what Jesus is saying, and he starts to present the solution to us. Okay? When we look inward, we see our own bankruptcy, we see our own need for God, we see the reality of our own sinfulness, but here we begin to see how God can deliver us from that. And I've often quoted Malcolm Muggeridge, who says, I'm imprisoned in the dark little dungeon of my own ego. Do you remember that phrase? The dark little dungeon of my own ego. And here, Jesus says, this is how you begin to be delivered from that little self, that little trap of me. It says, You begin to hunger and thirst after righteousness that you set free. Amen? I love Martin Lloyd-Jones. He's one of my heroes. And he says this, speaking of this little verse, He says, this is the great charter for every seeking soul, the outstanding declaration of the Christian gospel to all who are unhappy with themselves and their spiritual state, and who long for an order and a quality of life that they have not yet experienced. I want to say, that's me. I'm happy that I'm saved, but there's a deep longing in me for more. How many of you can say that? You want more of God? And here, this is what he's saying. This is the, the charter for all of us who want more in God. It's a declaration for all of us who want more in God. It's a wonderfully, it's a little statement of doctrine. It's, it's, it's the most succinct little expression of our faith, being, uh, of our, our salvation being that of faith entirely by grace. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, they will be filled it's a free gift of God it's a free gift of God can I ask you to consider those three little we're going to look at those three little phases happy look what it means to be happy or blessed and look what it means to what righteousness is and then we're going to look and see what it means to hunger and thirst three little cameos and then we're going to worship some more can I ask you a cheeky question this morning who of you doesn't want to be happy any in I want to be miserable not want to be happy We all want to be happy, isn't that right? The whole world wants to be happy. It's the great motivation behind every act, every ambition, every work, every striving for achievement. People want to be happy. Happiness is what people want. But here, it's interesting, the scripture says there's only one way to be truly happy. I think the reality is that for most of us, we've overlooked what the Scripture says, and we've looked in all the wrong places. You see, the Scripture doesn't say hunger and thirst after being happy, or hunger and thirst after being blessed. Jesus doesn't ask us to hunger after happiness. He tells us what we need to do is hunger after righteousness, and what when we hunger after righteousness, that ultimately produces happiness. You see, what the Bible says is truly happiness doesn't come from seeking happiness itself, but it's the byproduct, it's the, it's the result of doing something else. When you pursue righteousness, the Bible says you will be happy. You know what the great irony is for me when I look at the church and I look outside of the church? The great irony inside and outside of the church is that if you pursue happiness before you pursue righteousness, you end up miserable. I wish it wasn't like that, but it is. If you pursue happiness before you pursue righteousness inside the church or outside the church, you end up miserable. Can I, think of, can I give you a practical example of, for example, outside of the church? Say I am desperately ill and painfully ill. It's obvious that I'm going to want to be free of my pain. Wouldn't you agree? So what do you do? You go to a doctor. And a good doctor will help you find the cause of the pain and he'll relieve it. And the pain is the thing that draws attention to the disease. But at the end of the day, you don't want just the pain treated, you want the disease treated. You want to be set free from the disease. But it's a very painful reminder for me of how people truly live their lives. They try and relieve the pain, they run around in every direction, pursuing myriad things to relieve the pain, but they're not getting to the cause of what the pain has being caused by. Blessed are those... Happy are those that hunger and thirst after the righteousness, for they will be filled. Well, what about those inside the church? Well, there are some that seem to be searching their whole lives for a happiness or a blessedness that they never seem to find. They go from meeting to meeting, conference to conference, desperate to experience this wonderful thing, this great experience that will fill them with ultimate happiness, ultimate ecstasy, and they seem to see it in other people, but they never seem to get it themselves. I, I must be honest with you, I don't think that's particularly surprising because the Scripture says we're not meant to hunger and thirst after experiences, as good as they are. We are not meant to hunger and thirst after being blessed. We are meant to hunger and thirst after righteousness. Can anyone say amen? amen? Because that's what the scripture says. We're not meant to put those things in first place. Those things, the blessedness, is given to those who are hungering and thirsting after righteousness with all of their heart, and they are a natural overflow in your life of doing that. So, what does righteousness mean? Can we just look at that then? We looked at what it means. To be happy, to be blessed, what does it mean to be righteous? Can I just say some obvious things? We're not talking about a moral code here. We're not not talking about obeying the laws of the land. We're not talking about paying your taxes, although that's a very good thing to do. We need to be doing that. (laughs) All right? We're not just talking about being good people. All those things are rooted in Greek philosophy, and those things in themselves are good, but that's not what the Bible talks about in terms of righteousness. It goes far deeper than that. You know, it's possible to be a good member of the community and even serve the common good and give yourself to the poor and give yourself to helping the aged at the same time to be unfaithful to your wife. And I'm particularly irritated by politicians. Politicians who wax eloquent, they wax lyrically about serving the nation, about all these things, about honoring the poor, and being a first world country, that we need to get our energies and our money behind the third world, which I believe are very, very important things. And at the same time, the very man is saying that is being unfaithful to his wife time and time again. And there are scandals all the time, whether it's conservative or labor, of politicians behaving badly. You see... The scripture says righteousness is an intensely personal thing. I disagree with Tony Blair who says it doesn't matter who you are in private. What is, what is more important is your public office. I want to say it matters very much who you are in private if you're going to serve in public. Righteousness exalts a nation. And I want to say this in terms of this portion that we're looking at this morning of righteousness, that I believe that it doesn't just simply apply in terms of describing justification. Now, if you were to take a concordance and look up the word righteous, in a concordance, most of the scriptures would lead you to portions that talk about justification, And that is right and that is good. And Paul uses it in that sense in Romans, the great book of Romans, where he says there's a righteousness that comes by faith. He's talking about justification, right? You with me? And in other contexts, it also means that. But I'm saying here in the Beatitudes, it means more than that. And why do I say that? Because we have a context of three other verses that have brought us to this place. Blessed are those that mourn. Blessed are the meek blessed are the uh, whatever it is, the first one, I can't remember. Those three introduce us to this next, phase, this next uh, verse and they are the introduction to this verse, which then says, blessed are those that hunger and thirst for righteousness. And I want to suggest to you, I want to not suggest to you, I want to say to you this morning that it applies to both justification and sanctification. And I'm not trying to be clever, I think it's vitally important that you understand that this morning. That ultimately the act of hungering and thirsting for righteousness means that ultimately I want to be free from all forms of sin and manifestations of sin in my life. All forms. And I'd like to give you five little pointers to what it, I think it means. Five little pointers. The first is this. To hunger and thirst for righteousness means to be have a deep desire to be free from sin as sin separates us from God. Alright? It means ultimately a, a desire to be right with God. That's the fundamental thing. And I've said already that all the trouble that we have in the world is because ultimately we're not right with God. So someone who hungers and thirsts for righteousness is someone who sees that his sin and his rebellion separates him from God and he longs to be back in that original relationship like in the Garden of Eden which is a relationship of righteousness in the very presence of God. Amen. First thing. Secondly, it also means to be free from the power of sin. Not only sin separates us from God, but it's to be free from the power of sin. You see, those that hunger and thirst after righteousness understand that the world in which they live is controlled by sin, It's controlled by the prince of the air, It's controlled by the devil, if you like, and that we are under that terrible influence because we are fallen creatures. And he sees, the man who hungers and thirsts after righteousness, sees that the God of this world, or the prince of the air, has blinded us to certain things, and now he longs to be free from those things. He wants to be free from the power that drags him down in spite of himself. And what does Paul say in Romans chapter 7? He says, that is the, that is the power of the law at work in, these, in the members of my body. That thing that drags us down. And he wants to be free of that. But it goes further than that. Third thing. It means to be free from the very desire of sin. You know what the most disturbing thing is for me? Is that once you've looked at yourself in the mirror and you've looked at yourself in the light of the Word of God and you see what sin is, there's a terrible realization that you come to and it's not only that you are a sinful person, but most of us love and desire sin. We like it. That's the most horrifying thing of all. Is that actually when we look in the mirror, we actually like sin. And that is a power in us that needs to be broken. The man who hungers and thirsts after righteousness is a man who wants to get rid of that desire, not only on the outside, but on the inside. And that's called, theologians call that pollution, that's pollution of sin in our lives. The pollution of sin, we want to be free of that. To hunger and thirst for righteousness is to long to be set free from yourself from sin in all its forms, in all its manifestations in your life. So, those are quite negative things. I want to put a fourth thing to you. What does it mean to be hunger and thirst for righteousness? It means to be a desire to be positively holy. Jesus says, Be holy as I am holy. Positively holy. Well, what does that mean? It means if we hunger and thirst after righteousness, we want to exemplify what the Beatitudes say. We want to exemplify the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. Peace, joy, patience, kindness, self-control, all those things, we want to exemplify those things and be positively holy. It means to want to be more like not the first Adam, but second Adam, Jesus, New Testament man. It means to want to be like Him and to be transformed from one degree of glory to another. That's what it means. Lastly, Point number five. It goes even further than that. Not only to be free from those three things and to be positively holy, fourthly, but fifthly, it means our supreme, our supreme desire in our lives is to know God and to be in fellowship with Him, to walk with God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. That's the supreme desire of our life. And John the Apostle he puts it this way: he says, our fellowship is with him, God the Father. And with His Son, Jesus, and God is light, and in Him there's no darkness at all. And so we walk with Him in the light, in purity and in blessedness. So a man that hungers and thirsts after righteousness is the man that longs for all these things that I've tried to mention this morning, and in the end, that's simply a longing and a desire to be like Jesus Himself. And we have this wonderful portrait in the Gospels. That's why I encourage you to immerse yourself in the Gospels, in your devotions. Read the Gospels. Why? Because it's a portrait of Jesus. And in the, in, in the Gospels we see Jesus, God incarnate, God made man. We see how He was obedient to His Father. We see how He obeyed and He fulfilled the law. We see how He reacted to people. We see how He loved the poor. We see how He, he reacted to His enemies. And all those things are portrait for us. And we are told by the Scripture that we are born again and are being fashioned into that person to become more and more like that person that we see in the Gospels, Jesus. Doesn't that blow your mind? The man who hungers and thirsts for righteousness has a supreme desire in his life to become more and more like Jesus. So let's look at the last little phrase then, to hunger and thirst. What does that mean? Well, It's really the crux of the matter, isn't it, for me? What does it practically mean to hunger and to thirst? Well, it certainly doesn't mean this, that we go after and try and attain our righteousness by our own effort because that's exactly the opposite of everything I've just been saying. That's what the world teaches. That leads to striving. That leads to pride like the Pharisees. I want to say also breeds spiritual superiority, that you might think you have superior revelation from everybody else. That's the pride of the Pharisees. That we become Gnostic, we've got special revelation. And nobody else has the special revelation that we have. That's, that's the pride of the Pharisees, it's exactly the same thing. And that's what Paul dismisses in Philippians. Remember he lists, lists all those things and he says, all these things, my background... My upbringing, my education, the fact that I'm a Jew of Jews, that I was a... All these things, he says, all those things are to me as rubbish. They are done. That's the Scripture that says that, not me. Scripture, done. They are all done. And I consider them all things as loss for the sake of knowing Christ. So we do away with all self-confidence, self-belief. For me, that's part of hungering and thirsting. When we know there's nothing of ourselves, but it's all... Of him, so it might possibly mean some th- simple things like this. Then it might mean that we are conscious of our deep and desperate need for him. That that the hunger persists until it is satisfied. It's not a passing feeling. Hungering and thirsting is far deeper than it. Uh, to, hu- to hunger and thirst is a bit like being in love. Anyone been in love? No. So, well, I hope you're still in love. If you're married, definitely. What does it mean to be in love with someone? There's just this deep hunger in your life. There's this deep thirst in your life to be with that person. You want to be with them. And every moment that you're away, you are thinking about being with them again. That's what it is. That's how you know you're in love. It's like you can't stop thinking about that person. And when you're away from them, you're thinking about them. When you're with them, you're thinking about them. You're just thinking about them. Why? Because they are your lover. Of your, they, they, they are, yes, they're your lover. You want to be with them every moment of every waking day. There's a restlessness in you until you can be with that person again. That's what it means to hunger and thirst. It's that same kind of image that we must draw and say, God, I want to hunger and thirst after you like that. And there's a classic little line in the Psalms that we have all sung from very young age. Which per- puts it perfectly. As the deer pants for the water, so my soul longs after you. That's it. I'm nearly finished. There's a, there's a, there's a uh, commentator called J, uh, Darby. He's a Bible commentator. And he, he put it very well. He said this. To be hungry is not enough. I must really be starving to know what is in God's heart towards me. When the prodigal son was hungry, he went to feed on the husks. But when he was really starving, he came back to his father. You've got to really be starving. There's that deep, deep hunger for God in our lives. And I can't put it there. Only you can want it. That really sums up the whole thing that I'm trying to say this morning. So, what does God promise to people who are hungry and thirsting for, for, for righteousness? Well, it's one of the most happy statements in the whole of the Bible. He, he simply says, Happy, happy, happy are you, blessed are you, to be congratulated are you that hunger and thirst after righteousness. Why? Because you will be filled. Amen. If you hunger and thirst after this, you will receive what you hunger and thirst for. And the whole of the gospel, as I've said, the whole of the gospel is in this little statement. Why? Because it's a gospel of grace, it's a gift to us. You see, you can't fill yourself with righteousness apart from Him. You can't fill yourself with blessedness apart from Him. To have those things of blessedness in your life, all that you are required, God requires of you, is to see your desperate need of Him in your life. That's it. God, I desperately, desperately, desperately need you. Nothing more than that. That's hungering and thirsting of righteousness. Well, when God sees that in our lives, how does He respond? And how does it happen? Well, I want to say, thankfully, it happens immediately. Instantly, it happens. Why? Because it's for the glory of the gospel that when we truly desire that, when we truly hunger and thirst, we are justified immediately, and the righteousness of Christ is imputed to us, and the barrier of sin and guilt between us and God is removed. And I trust that you all believe that and that you are all convinced of that. Simple fact this morning, that if you truly believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, if you believe that on the cross He was dying for your sin, you have been forgiven. That's the gospel. We thank God for that and we are filled with His righteousness immediately, the righteousness of Christ that's imputed to us. And God looks at us, or looks at you, He sees the righteousness of Christ. He no longer sees your sin. You've been forgiven. I want to say it over and over again. You're no longer under law. You're under grace. You're filled with the righteousness of Christ in the whole issue of justification. And so a Christian, quite simply, is someone who knows that their sins have been forgiven and that he's justified by the grace of God, that he doesn't have to go looking for it, seeking for it. He stands righteous in the presence of his Father, a Son of the Most High. Thank God it happens immediately. That moment that you open your heart to Christ happens immediately. But, can I also say to you, it's a continuing process. (laughs) It's a continuing process. What I mean by that is that the Holy Spirit begins immediately within us the great work of delivering us from the power of sin and the pollution of sin in our lives. It happens instantly and it continues. This is the great Uh, Not irony, it's a great tension that we live in as Christians. If we hunger and thirst to be delivered from these things, we will get what we hunger for. The scripture says this, it says the Holy Spirit will be in us, working in us, both to will and to do His good pleasure. So, as the Holy Spirit increasingly lives in us, He increasingly delivers us from the power of sin and the pollution of sin in our lives. And He promises that we'll be more than conquerors against everything that comes against us. We get that blessing immediately, but also increasingly, immediately and increasingly, as we walk with Christ and as we walk with the Holy Spirit, we are able to resist the devil and he must flee. Amen. I'm so glad about that there's no temptation that comes against you that you cannot resist by the power of the Holy Spirit in you. And thirdly, and absolutely, this promise to us is fulfilled perfectly and absolutely in eternity. There's a day coming where you and I, who are in Christ and belong to Him, will stand in the presence of God without fault, without blemish, perfect, without wrinkle, We'll be new and perfect men and women with a perfect body. Aren't you glad you'll have a perfect body? You'll have a glorified body, just like Jesus had. We will stand in the presence of God, absolutely perfect in body, soul, and spirit. We'll be men and women filled with perfect, complete, and entire righteousness, which we have received from the Lord Jesus Christ, perfectly in eternity. So it seems to be such a paradox, doesn't it? And when you read the scripture, it's, there seems to be contradiction because in Philippians chapter 3, Paul talks of those things and then he says, not that I've already attained these things, but I press on towards the mark which is in Christ Jesus. And yet in Romans, he says, you are in, uh, in Corinthians, rather, he says, you are in Christ in whom wisdom, righteousness, in whom you have wisdom, righteousness, sanctification and redemption, a completed fact. That seems to be such a tension. We have it but not fully. Well, it's fascinating. It's absolutely fascinating. I want to say this, as I conclude, we are at the same time hungering and thirsting, and yet we are completely filled. (laughs) The more that we are filled, the more we hunger and thirst. That's the Christian life. That's the happiness of the Christian life. It goes on, and it goes on, and it goes on. And God is changing us from one degree of glory to another. So, of His fullness, of His grace, we have received grace upon grace upon grace. That's what the Scripture says. It goes on. We are perfect, yet not perfect. We are hungry and thirsting, yet we are filled and we are satisfied, but we are longing for more at the same time. Never having enough because it's so glorious. <laughs> Not because you don't have it, but because it's so glorious. You, you, you want more. You, we are fully satisfied in Him, and yet we have a supreme desire, like Paul says in Philippians chapter 3, to know Him and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His sufferings in our lives. Amen. This is the Christian life. It is good news. So I want to ask you are you filled? <laughs> are you happy? Are you blessed in the sense that you are hungering and you are thirsting? Those are the important questions I think we need to consider this morning. But the wonderful promise of God to us as His children is, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. They shall be filled. That's my prayer for you as this church that every one of you will be filled as you hunger and thirst for Him. Amen.